Hi, beer friends. Welcome back to Brews with Broads. I'm your host, Hannah Keim. I am truly over the moon to welcome Zara Tabatabai to the podcast. Zara is a Brooklynite, a mom, and the founder of Back Home Beer. Back Home Beer is born in Iran, brewed in New York, as their tagline says. And boy, was I excited to sit down with Zara to learn about how she took her hobby of homebrewing, which she developed as a way to pay homage to her late grandfather, who was a homebrewer in his native Iran, how she honed that hobby in classes, YouTube tutorials, and yes, even notes from her family who drank her grandfather's brews, and turned it into a beer brand that has been featured in so many best of lists, whose beers sell out lightning fast wherever they are stocked. She sat down with me after a long day of deliveries. That's right, she is a one-woman band doing sales calls and deliveries out of her car. And wow, I'm so glad she did. Talking to her inspired the heck out of me, and I think you'll feel the same. Cheers. Zara Tabatabai, welcome to Bruise with Broads. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to finally be able to chat. I am too, after, you know, I've as is the case with many guests I've had, met them in real life and fully pounced um, <laughs> like a weirdo. And as is the case, usually you were very gracious when we met for the first time in real life. So much to discuss today. But first, did you bring a beverage to sip on while we chat? I did. Oh I my brought gosh. my own beverage. Is that okay? Is that Obviously. weird for me to do? Self-promote, okay. <laughs> Let's talk about it because, of course... As I'm sure I stated in the brilliant intro that I've yet to record, you are the founder of Back Home Beer. Yes. So let's let's hear about what you're drinking. So I am drinking our sumac goza, which is um, brewed with cured sumac. So the sumac is basically packed in salt. Most of the salinity comes from the sumac that's in this beer. And um, about, let's see, between the two batches, about 700 pounds of sour cherries. So lots of, it's like tart, a bit dry, and really delicious. It's so delicious. And (laughs) the sumac just brings, I hate the word interesting because it doesn't mean anything, but like it is an interesting quality especially like if you I don't think I had ever had that in a beer so I was like yeah. what is happening this is so good um so that's exciting I have something that is was just in the fridge stash as they say that is was like a sample from 12% it is oh, a nice. fat orange cat aqua cat it's a hard seltzer it's not normally okay. my vibe a mm-hmm. citrus hard seltzer but it's 4.8% and that felt like the speed at which I needed to go today. So do you want to crack these beers open? Sure. Let's do it. Excellent. All right. One, two, three. Oh, you got yours really good. <laughs> Cheers. Ugh. Cheers. So good. Let's see. All right. I like to pour my beer into a glass. So that's what I'm doing. Usually I do, but I've switched up my setup this season and I am literally sitting inside of my coat closet um so (laughs) there's not really we don't have room for glassware in here yeah but I'm thrilled I'm all I'm pro glass we'll get to that later too well now that we're hydrated of course we're here to talk about back home beer that's sweeping the nation or at least (laughs) you know the eastern at least what up to DC now yeah DC Um, and New York City amazing but before we get there of course I want to 
you know, your beer and the brand is so centered around like your family and your family history and heritage. But I want to know about you, like pre-beer. Okay. What's what's the life story in as much or as little detail as you want to get into it? The life story. Well, <laughs> let's see. I grew up in Atlanta. Nice. And I, that's, um, let's see, I was there until about 17 years ago. And so um, I grew up there, went to college right in the city at Georgia Tech, moved up here after I graduated. And now I've been in New York City for about 17 years. And I was doing something completely different before getting into beer. I was in um, in writing, like news writing, television news writing, working in production. So I worked at Fox News for many years, which was interesting. Mm -hmm. um, I worked at um, ESPN for a few years. And then I also did a lot of just freelance writing um, for different publications. And so, you know, that was really what I was doing for the majority of the time that I was in New York City. But I studied business when I was in school. And so I had always thought about maybe starting my own business or doing something entrepreneurial um, and just never really got around to it, I guess. Um, and so that's when, what led me into the beer and doing that on this side. But for many years, I was just writing and um, I had a nice flexible schedule. Although at Fox News, I worked on the morning show. Mm. So I was waking up at like 3.30 or 4 in the morning every day, which was brutal. Um, but it was a fun experience. I was young and in my 20s and really excited to just be in television and news in New York City. Um, and so, yeah, that's basically what I did for many years until I had my son. And that's when I shifted from full-time to um, more freelance and part-time writing. I love talking to moms. Um, <laughs> and it's great that you, at least in that phase of your career, you were able to kind of make some space to be able to like be in charge of your own schedule a little bit, I guess. Yeah. A little bit. Do you have any, like, what's the craziest story you have from your time? It was a crazy time. Honestly, a lot of the horror stories that you hear about working at Fox News are absolutely true. I worked there when Roger Ailes was there. And so I would, and we were launching Fox Business Network. That's mm -hmm. when I came on. So we were just launching this entire new cable channel for them. And, um, so we had a lot of meetings with him and a lot of closed door meetings and, um, a lot of, in a, a it, it was, yeah, the, the woman that I worked for, um, things went down with her that were highly inappropriate, um, which led to many years later, both of us kind of leaving at the exact same time mm. from Fox. Yeah. Um, so I would say it's, it was definitely a very... Uh, I would say, what's the right word for it? It's just a very uncomfortable place to work. It mm. really was. I mean, it's everything you think and have heard about working there is absolutely true. Yeah, my stomach kind of hurts just <laughs> Yeah, you talk yeah, about it. yeah. When I worked there, they told me when I was writing, 
um, they told me to shorten my name because it sounded too foreign. I was just going to ask you that, actually. Yeah, yeah. Especially what I'm sure that was in, like, the mid-aughts. I worked there when Obama became president. Was that 2008? Yeah. Yeah. About five years or something like that. Mm -hmm. Well, I don't know if they gave you a medal, but I will be... (laughs) mailing you one i'll next time i see you i will be giving you a medal for that for your service <laughs> thank to, you you know for, not for your suffering but uh, you know that we'll talk about that on my next pod my behind the scenes fox news podcast that i yeah right year. um <laughs> but back to beer so okay. did you <laughs> did you grow up drinking beer that's a stupid question do you I always like to ask people like their gateway beer right like all this time were you especially at that time in new york like craft was kind of obviously a different space like when did you start getting into just drinking beer forget even homebrewing it I mean I I feel like I always drank beer I mean I was never really into hard alcohol or liquor or anything like that Mm -hmm. and my parents were pretty relaxed about drinking beer I mean we could drink beer at home it was kind of no big deal for them and everything in our culture is surrounded by food and drink and so that was really what we had at home, I would say. So it wasn't usually craft beer, you know, it was just kind of, my my dad really loved having a Heineken or a Stella or a Peroni, you know, the standard Pilsners in the house. And so that's kind of what I grew up drinking and watching them drink, really. Right, yeah. Um, and then when I went to school and college, I was pretty young when I, I started college when I just turned... 17. So Mm -hmm. I was kind of young. But when I started school, I was, yeah, drinking beer. And I went to like a, it was a college town um, university I went to. And so that was kind of the drink of choice. Um, But I didn't really get into craft beer, I would say, until I moved to New York. Um, It's a much better scene here than it was in Atlanta. And so what inspired you to start homebrewing? Was it a love of beer or was it a different door? So I started homebrewing really just as a hobby for um, my family. My my grandfather, he was a brewer in Iran in the 50s and 60s. And I had just grown up hearing stories about the beer that he brewed. And he passed away when I was really young. So it was really just kind of pictures and Um, some memories that people would share with me throughout my life that got me to get to know him. And so that was kind of one of the main things they talked about was like they had this beautiful garden in Iran and he would use the backyard and the basement to brew. And so it was something that happened in passing where they were kind of, my grandmother said something like, oh, I just miss the taste of his beer or something like that. And I was like, Mm oh, let me see. I'm sure it's not that hard. Let me Google how to make beer. And so I just watched some YouTube videos. I ended up taking a few classes over at Bitter Nesters. Um, and so they um, they were really nice guys that, mm-hmm. you know, you can be really intimidated walking into that store. I had no clue what anything was. And they really helped me out and um, answered all my questions. And so that's kind of how it started reading some books, YouTube. And then I started to brew the beer and send the bottles back to Atlanta. And so all my family would try it. Or when I would fly down there, I would just check in a few bottles and have them try it. 
And so they would taste it and tell me like, no, this isn't quite right. It needs to be more like this. And then I would try to do another test batch. And that's kind of how I started the first few recipes of home brewing was basing it around what I knew he, he used, my grandfather used in his beers, my family's taste, telling me what's good and what's bad, what I should use, what I shouldn't. And so that's kind of how it all came about. That's such a beautiful way to connect with not only like, as you've said, I'm sure in many interviews, your family heritage, your cultural heritage, but like your grandfather who you didn't really ever get to know Mm -hmm. to be able to like continue his legacy and have him live through you. Yeah, exactly. And that, that is a really cool part of the whole thing is that he, he died when when I was a couple years old. And so all I know of him is the stories I've heard. And so this has made me feel more connected to him in a way that I never was. And like you said, to be able to continue his legacy and share his story. And I feel like that was, that's definitely a big part of what I'm doing. And so I guess I'm curious about, of course, regionally, like Iran, pre-revolution, but also pre like Mesopotamia times, that's where beer was born, right? Like, right you know, to talk about, to continue talking about tradition, you're continuing like a centuries old tradition. Yes. But I'm curious sort of about, we're getting very macro before we talk mm-hmm. about your brand specifically, but like the history of the region in with beer versus like the cultural implications now. Yeah. And so that was kind of something that was also very important to me when I decided to go from homebrewing and make that leap into actually trying to bring it to market and make a business out of it was really myself being educated about beer in the region and finding out so many interesting things like they have been fermenting for thousands and thousands of years in the region. The earliest chemical evidence of beer was found in what is now the Zagros Mountains of Iran. And there's a real disconnect between this rich history of beer brewing and what Iran is today, because in 1980, they overthrew the government and um, basically burned down the breweries that were there and the distilleries and the vineyards because when my family lived there and when my grandfather lived there, they could drink freely. It was a free country and they were able to make wine, make beer, go to the brewery. It was a very different country from what it is today. And so that was part of it too for me was just educating people on what the region was and what it meant, what, what the connection was to beer for so many thousands of years and how, what we know of the country and region today is not what it's always been. And that the people are a secular people, the Iranians that I know drink when I was growing up, people were drinking around me and my family. And so that was a really important part for me too, was to just kind of say, um, when people tell me like, oh, this is a Muslim beer. What is this? Or have, you know, comments to say to me about that. I'm like, this is not a Muslim beer. You know, Budweiser is not a, a Christian beer. You know, it's just a, a beer that basically uses some Middle Eastern influence and inspiration. And I'm trying to do something that I feel a connection with. And so for me, I it is very important to tell people that side of the story. And so they realize that this is a beer that's inspired by ingredients and my story from the Middle East, but that I do brew it here. And it's 
basically for my family and for my friends and for a lot of people who might not realize the history of brewing in the region. Thank you. That was so well put. And I feel like I understand better what you're right. even more like your mission is so layered and so deep. And I love it. Thank you. Of course. So, you know, we left off. You were brewing at home. You were sending this to your family, which I, I'm obsessed with them, like, giving you notes on yeah. <laughs> your brews, like, from, you know, across the country, effectively. Yeah. What inspired you to make the leap from homebrew to commercial? Talk to me about that process, because that seems scary. Yeah, it was scary. I mean, I think the biggest thing was that when I kind of did more research and found out the history of brewing in, in the region and then kind of connected it to, well... There's this rich history, thousands of years of brewing and making beer, and yet there is nothing at all on the market to represent the entire region because of what it is today. Um, and so that was when I made the decision to see about bringing this beer to market because I was like, let me highlight some really cool and funky ingredients that my grandfather put in his beer, and let me educate people about the history of brewing in the region and let's just kind of see what happens, you know? And so that was when I decided to bring it to market. And, and you know, also making the beer, being able to take a few bottles. One of the first bottles I made was um, with barberries. It was like a barberry sour. And I took it to a, the head brewer over at Circa and he's like, oh my God, this is amazing. What what is what are barberries? Like, let's make it here, just really supportive. And so it was also a lot of the response I was getting just from people trying the beer and being like, this is really cool. And so I feel like that mixed with everything else kind of gave me the courage to make it into a business. And I'm not a risk taker at all. And so it it took some time for me to get there, but I'm I'm really happy that I finally did. So am I. <laughs> so were you were you in Bruminaries, the the homebrew club? I was, yes. We've had some alums on the podcast. And they <laughs> nice. always speak so highly of it. Um it sounds like that was a big part of your like development as as a brewer. Yeah, I mean I would say definitely bitter and esters, just the guys mm -hmm. there being able to brew. They had that they don't have it anymore, but it was like a small like five maybe our 15 gallon system they had there. And so I would test a couple recipes there. And so that was a big part of it too, or do the bottle swap. And like I said, just watching YouTube videos and Googling things and reading books. And that's just kind of how it all started. Yeah. So what, what year was that when you decided to take it to go big? I think that was in 2019. Great timing. Yeah. And yeah. so then, then what happened? How did you proceed? I, I did the the business side of it, like got myself incorporated, and then started to do some test batches at home. Um, looked into kind of the licensing side of it because it's not so simple in New York City um, to be able to do that, and also try to find a contract brewery that will let me use their space. That was a tricky part of it, so. It did take some time. And then in the middle of all that, that's when COVID hit was March 2020. I feel like I had just maybe put in my for my wholesale license. And so things were just taking so much longer. And mm -hmm. so I didn't actually 
even though I think I incorporated the business in like 2019, I didn't release the first beer until October of 2021 because a lot of these restaurants and bars are really struggling. And so they're not going to go out of their way to be able I mean, they can't, they didn't have the money to be able to expand and uh, pick up these smaller um, breweries and beer brands and things like that. So I just kind of held off until things got a bit more safe and restaurants and bars were in a better place. And then found the contract brewery, which is flagship out on Staten Island. And so it moved very slow. But once I actually launched my first beer, I feel like it's only been now four months, but it's been a crazy four months uh, of um, just really hustling. So it took some time to get here. But now once I'm here, it definitely things are moving quickly. Yeah. I mean, as you know, as many people listening know, I work at St. Gambrinus. And when I tell you, I, I have never received, I'm, t- I'm talking at least once, if not twice, every time I work, I get a phone call asking if we have your beer. I'm dead serious. Oh I've my never, gosh. Or like people rolling up and being like, do you have it? And then coming out with like, you know, three or four, four packs, like cleaning us out. So oh my gosh, that's the amazing. word, I mean, I guess I should ask you, why do you think that is? I mean, apart from, of course, your beer is delicious and exciting. Thank like, you. What, do, what do you, what do you think about that? How does that make I, you feel? I really think that people really feel a connection to the brand and it makes them feel something towards the homeland, I guess. And so it also brings them to a place, especially because a lot of the people that are around my age, it's they're they're taking this home to their aunts and uncles and parents. And they're all, and that, that makes me really happy because a lot of them are like, oh my gosh, this, this beer reminds my dad of back home, you know? And so I think it's just this nostalgic thing for them. And it reminds them of Iran pre-revolution. And they also love to support a woman, an Iranian woman, somebody within their own community. And it's been great, a great response, honestly. I think social media definitely helps. I was not a believer. (laughs) I mean, I didn't even have a personal social media page. I didn't even Mm -hmm. have a Facebook or, you know, anything like that. But social media has really helped to get the word out as well. And I think starting it very early and kind of saying, this is what I'm doing and this is my journey and allowing people to come for the entire process and follow the entire process from getting my um, wholesale license to finding a contract brewer and getting my first recipe down. So I think just allowing people to kind of come along for the ride also made them feel like they were part of the process and then they really wanted to support it once it was finally out. I I mean, I think that's really smart. I I feel like I remember reading about you in maybe it was like a Brooklyn, I never know what to call it, like a magazine, an online publication of some type. Mm -hmm like early 2021 and being like, oh my God, I have to find this. Yeah. And then looking you up and being like, oh, it's not out yet. And that anticipation, like building and building. Totally. And it wasn't even on purpose. It was really because like, one, I couldn't really get my shit together in time. And so things were just taking a really long time. And then COVID was with the licensing departments, it was taking forever. And so it kind of worked in my favor because it did build this anticipation around the beer and allowed me to get a little bit of press from people that would find me online. And so I feel like the one of the, the biggest things, uh, write-ups was through Wine Enthusiast. And they wrote a really amazing piece about what I'm doing and how that 
um, compares to Iran and their history of brewing. And so it was a whole thing that they did. And that, that really made me feel good too. Like I was, cause there were so many moments where I would doubt what I was doing before I actually did it. And so that was very validating as well. So there were little, little wins along the way for sure. Absolutely. And I wanted to ask you about that, particularly as a journalist, how did it feel? How does it feel? Have you gotten used to it? Like kind of being on the other side and being the interviewee and the topic of stories. Right. It feels nice. I mean, it really does. It's, it, it just, like I said, it really validates what you're doing and all the hard work you're putting in and being able to see the the recognition. It, it's really nice. It really is. And especially because it is just me right now. I don't have any help. And so I don't have the resources to go out and try to get the press. It's just people who kind of find me and like what I'm doing. And so I'm really proud of that too, that I've been able to kind of garner some exposure before seeking it out. Absolutely. In this case, do very much believe the hype. It's real. (laughs) Speaking of social media, you really do take people and not in like an influencer-y, icky way, like through your day-to-day in a really approachable way that I think a lot of beer consumers don't get to see, especially from like a a one-woman band as you are. I always ask this, and I always know the answer to some extent. What is a day-to-day for you? And I know the answer is like, there is no day-to-day, but like, if you, you know, like what was your day today? Uh, today I woke up really early. I went and, um, put a bunch of beer in my car with my son and we (laughs) drove to a few restaurants in Manhattan, um, that I just had to deliver to today. One of, one was a big account that I just got. It was a John George restaurant. It's so much more fancy than I ever was (laughs) or ever will be. But yeah, it's really cool. So the beer is now at ABC V, ABC Kitchen and ABC Cochina. And so I know it's, it's wild. Wow. Um, And so I was, I had to deliver there. I delivered to a few other really cool restaurants. Um, And then I took my son to Chelsea Market and got him some sushi, which he was happy about. Um, And then we went up to the Upper West Side. I had to drop off a sample to a restaurant up there. And it was wild. The guy, he poured it and just drank it in front of me. And I'm like, oh, it's not cold. And he's like, it's fine. Let me just, you know, sometimes I can taste it better when it's not cold. So he drank it and I'm like, all right, well, you know, I'll follow up with you with this and that. And he's like, no, if you have some cases in your car, can I just have them? And I'm like, sure, you know, so we did the paperwork right then. And I just, I had extra cases in my car. So I gave him four cases of the beer and it was awesome. And um, then got back in the car, took my son to the, so he's off school this week. So of course, you know, you feel the mom guilt because I'm working in between of this, all this. And so then we were on the Upper West Side. I'm like, let's go to the Natural History Museum. So then we went to the Natural History Museum. You got to see the dinosaurs and where else did we go? Like the gem room and the the whale room. And so you have to, yeah, you have to do the whale room. And so we did all that. And then I got a text while I was driving home can we get six cases at, you know, this restaurant downtown that I delivered to? And I'm like, oh, all right, I'm already in the city. Let me just go drop it off. So I went there and then came home. Oh, <laughs> so it was a very long day, but I made it longer because I, you know, we went and had a nice lunch and took him to the museum, came home. 
made some dinner. Now he's watching some TV and I'm chatting with you. And you're talking to me. She's taking time out of this long ass day to talk to me. Wow. Incredible. I mean, thank you. I, seriously, I don't like the implications of this question I'm about to ask you, mm-hmm. but I like want to know it as, for lack of a better term, an aspiring mom. Yeah. When, so you already had your son like before you started back home. Yeah. How did that weigh into the decision to like take such a huge leap? I mean, he's now almost nine. Mm -hmm. So I don't think I could have done this when he was younger. And I think now that he is in school every day and I'm not having to do remote learning and that kind of thing. And so for me, it was like, he's, he's doing all right. You know, he's doing okay. So I can do this now. I was home with him for the first eight years of his life. And I, you know, I did part-time work so that I could pick him up from school and take him to school every day. And so I felt like those years were very important. And now I can focus a little bit on myself and Mm -hmm. on this business. And he's been great with the transition too. We're not seeing mom as much. Um, Maybe I can't pick him up every day from school, but I think he's very okay with all of it. I'd love to hear that. They adapt. I mean, kids are so resilient and they're just adaptable. And so, I mean, it was tough, I think, for him for the first few weeks. And then he's like, all right, this is what's happening. Mm -hmm. That's okay. And it's amazing that he gets to see you live out. I don't know. I don't want to put words in your mouth, but like live out a dream. Do something. Do something amazing that like really is having a huge impact. For sure. Yeah, definitely. When he sees the beer in the store. He's really excited about it. Of course. He's always asking to try it. (laughs) (laughs) A couple years. Wait till till you're 12. Yeah. (laughs) Right. In New York City, I feel like everything happens a lot sooner for kids who grow up here. So um, yeah. I don't want to think about that. Speaking of seeing your beers on the shelf, I use the word beers plural. So we have the the Sumac Goza and you also have the Persian Blue Lager. How did that come about? When did you say like, okay, I'm ready to to have beer number two? Yeah. So Persian Blue was actually beer number one. Oh. Um, but because that one is an homage to my grandfather and to my dad, to a lot of the people in my family who always put a pinch of salt in their Pilsner. Mm. So it didn't matter what they were drinking. It could be a Stella, Peroni, Heineken, whatever it was, they would always put a pinch of salt in their beer. And so that was where the idea came from to just make a beer that had a bit of salt to it that they didn't have to add the salt. And so that's how Persian Blue came about. And so I found this salt that is mined in northern Iran. And it's a really cool rock, like it's a blue rock salt, one of the only edible blue salts in the world. They only extract a certain amount every year. And I did a salt kind of a taste test with a lot of different salts. And I pick that one every time because mm. it's not an ocean salt. It doesn't have the ocean flavor to it. And so it's a mined salt and it's, I think, more earthy and it's more mild. And so every time it kind of went straight to the blue salt. And so that's how that recipe came about. It had to lager and so it stayed in the tanks longer. And so the sumac goes, it came out first. Also, I wanted to come out with something that maybe a person who's not a traditional beer drinker would also like. And I think the sumac goes is more appealing for someone like that. Absolutely. I definitely think that sours can be a, an easier jumping off point for people than definitely. maybe a lager. Yeah, for sure. And you contract brew, which we've talked about on the podcast before, but of course, for those who might not remember, is just brewing. Obviously, you 
you single one person <laughs> do not have a gigantic brewery. So right. you use flagship. You kind of rent flagships space from them effectively. Yeah. Essentially, that's what it is. So you send them your recipes and, you know, they or they they approve it and say, OK, this is going to work for us. And then we brew on their system mm-hmm. and we can there and everything. And so the beer is ready to go. It's really a cost effective way to enter the market and be able to get the brand out there and everything without having to spend millions of dollars to build this you know, mm-hmm. huge brewery. And so that was a tough part though, because trying to find a brewery that was okay with renting out their space, um, that believed in what we were doing. And so I heard a lot of people saying no to me. So when flagship said yes, that was huge because I thought I was just never going to be able to find the space. There was one place that just does contract brewing. They were outside of DC. And so I was thinking I would have to do that and drive hours and hours, but it was really important for me to be able to say that the beer is brewed in New York city. And this is my home. It was the last place I expected to be. It was like these guys from Staten Island kind of thinking like, what is this woman doing? And what are these ingredients she's talking about? We have no clue what this is, but they were really receptive and very supportive to what I was doing. And, um, I'm really happy that I'm there. It's a great group of guys who work there. And was it challenging, like, to get them to be okay with you, like, bloggering a beer in their space, right? Because that takes up tank time. It does. It does. I have to, you know, <laughs> I have to beg for some tank space sometimes. No, but they're, they're very good about it. They're very good about scheduling me in. But I'm always like, I'm so sorry to have to do this. But, and they're like, it's okay. We have the space right now. So I'm worried that I'll get to the point where they don't have the space and then I don't know where I'll go. But, you know, for now we're doing okay at flagship and they're really taking care of me and they're putting me on the schedule and they're being really supportive about everything I'm doing. So I will forever be indebted to them. Well, I'll take the ferry. Yeah. We'll go. Yes. Yeah. It's great. I've never been. I hate to say. I know. Yeah. They make great beer. They have um, a lot of different events going on in the tap room. Um, and so, yeah, anyone who hasn't been, just take the ferry across, hang out. It's, yeah. a, it's a great little spot. Maybe we'll do a field trip. I'll put, yeah. that, I'll put that in my notes. Brews with okay. Frost field trip. Just to, <laughs> you know, between your 45 deliveries you're doing yourself and right. taking your son to the Natural History <laughs> Museum and enriching his life. Um, but back to the question that I had meant to ask you before. So anyone who's seen your beers on the shelves, like they're gorgeous. Talk to me about the um graphic design yeah so um it i really wanted to just have this be i really wanted to put something in farsi and persian on the can um i wanted it to be very noticeably back home beer and so i found this graphic designer actually just kind of perusing instagram And I found this young woman, she lives in Iran. She had just graduated from like art school and she was really excited to kind of hear what I wanted to do. And so I told her, this is the canvas, it's beer. And a lot of people were reluctant, you know, they, they didn't want to get in trouble with the government there or Mm -hmm. they, you know, it's a bit of a tricky situation, but she was all for it. And so we worked together she had the idea actually to do kind of a poetry series because I knew I wanted 
to showcase the language, but I didn't know in what way. And so she had the idea to have a poetry series and basically highlight Persian poets and verses on each can. And that is a very rich part of the culture is poetry. I mean, it's Rumi and it's Omar Hayam and it's all these people that, you know, renowned poets. And so when she came up with that, I'm like, that's beautiful. I love it. And so me and my dad, and she would also just look through all of our books that we had of poetry. And my dad has this thick roomy book where he's got like post-its on every page. And so we were able to find these verses that really spoke to me. And so she displayed them on the can so beautifully. And so that's kind of how it all came about. To be honest, right before I was submitting everything for approval, I had second thoughts about it because I just thought that people might see the beer and say, oh, you know, beer is American. What is this person doing? And I I didn't know. I thought there could be some sort of backlash or, I don't know, people could associate it with the region and saying like, oh, how could you put out a Muslim beer? And, you know, things like that. It was like all these things running through my mind. But then I was like, you know what, let's just do it. Let's see what happens. And so I'm glad I did. That's kind of how it all came about. First two beers have quotes, Rumi and Chaim. The third beer is actually going to be an IPA that's just branded for um, the month of March, which is when the new year is. And so after that, we'll have another beer, a third beer that will also highlight a different poet and a different verse. But we'll have this kind of like limited edition New Day IPA for the new year in between. I love that. When is that going to come out? So that's going to come out in just a couple weeks. Um, I think like first, no, second week in March. Yeah, I'm excited for that one. Well, by the time the people are listening to this, it will be out. Likely it will be sold out. But if you can (laughs) find it anywhere. Yeah, where? I mean, you're ever expanding, right? So like I see you at St. Gambrinus all the time. Mm -hmm. At Beer Karma, Beer Boutique, Beer Witch, a lot of most of the beer shops. I see, again, back to social media, you've been posting a lot recently, which has been so exciting about different, I think you even asked like a question to your followers, like different Middle Eastern restaurants that Mm -hmm. you wanted to like seek out, which I think is so great. And it seems like you've been getting into so many. Yeah, it's been really nice. When I think about these recipes, I very much have in mind the food that's going to go along with it. Because like I said, it's a big part of the culture. It's all about the food and drink, you know? So I'm trying to make beers that will taste good with the food and will complement the flavors of the region. And because there is not much in that space, I think that people are really receptive to the beer and it's been nice to be able to get into some of these doors. And then, you know, of course you have to go and you have to have these tastings and they try it. They like the story. um, They like the cans. And so I think the whole package for them is appealing. That's been a nice surprise because When I first started this, I'm like, okay, I'm making some beer that maybe some Iranians will like. Mm -hmm. And then when it came out, I'm like, actually, beer people are really liking it. And now it's kind of expanded into, wow, all these chefs really like it too because it's complementing their food. And so it's just kind of turned into something else. Do you keg it? Yes. I do. I've seen it in kegs. Yes, I have. Yeah. Okay, cool. Mm -hmm. I only keg it in the Slims because that's all I can carry. Yeah. (laughs) Because I am self-distributing. Um, but yeah, we do have kegs. It's it's limited, but we do have kegs. Right. It's harder to distribute. Um, yeah. Okay. Well, more importantly, 
what am I eating with the sumac goza and what am I eating with the Persian blue lager? Oh my gosh. Now I'm Persian hungry. Persian blue lager, I feel like it can really, both yeah, styles they go with can anything. really go with a lot, right? The lager, I feel like people are going through it at these restaurants and it can go with grilled fish, but it can also go with like a hearty Persian uh, stew or like a nice Turkish bread. You know, it, it can go with really anything. The sumac beer too. I mean, it's really hard to say. I feel like the sumac does go very well, I would say with meat and fish. Mm -hmm. And then the heavier dishes like the stews or the bread with eggplant and different dips and things like that. I think the lager is a nice one for that. It'll round it out nicely when I come out with an IPA. That's going to be a flagship IPA because then one that's coming out in March is just for the month of March. And so now I'm working on something that's going to be more of a flagship IPA. Amazing. And do you recipe, you still recipe develop at home or do you do it at flagship? Yeah. I So I work with somebody in who works over at Daleview, Flint. Oh, great. Yeah. I don't know if you know him. I do. Yes. He is amazing. I'm so happy that I met him and that I know him because he has really helped me through all of this because when you're just making beer at home and you have these ideas of what you want it to taste like, it's really hard to be able to scale that on a professional system. I would have no clue how to do that, to be frankly honest. And so he has stepped in and really been in charge of like the recipes and helping me out and really getting the taste that I'm looking for. He's much more technical than I would be. <laughs> well, you need you need the the vision and I, I don't know if I've met many people who are all of that, all of the vision and the technical in one. Yeah. So, no, it's hard. It's yeah. hard, yeah. But yeah. yeah, he's a lovely, generous man. Shout out to Flint. He really is. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to ask you about scaling, but. Yeah. I honestly want like no part of that. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't either, Zara. I don't either. It sounds, again, scary. It's very scary. And I feel like I am doing so many other things that. Yeah. It's hard to to learn all of that. And so I'm like, I, that's where Flint comes in and he just works his magic and really helps me out there. I'm glad to hear it. And how how did you get, you're up in DC too. You, wait, down? Down. I'm not a geographer. Mm -hmm. You're down. <laughs> Look at that. You're, you're down in DC. How did that yes. come about? So I have a lot of family there. My brother lives there. And so on top of that, it's one of the largest Middle Eastern demographics, um, especially the largest Persian community outside of LA. And so I think that just the whole DMV area is perfect for back home beer. And on top of that, their liquor authority there is like, just call and everything is fine and dandy. You know, it's just so easy. They're like, just fill out this one piece of paper for $5 and you can bring all the beer you want. Like, it's just such a simple process to be able to get there. And so naturally it was, it just seemed like the right place for me to get to after New York. And so um, my brother helps me out down there, but we go once a month and take some beer and it's been doing really well. They're actually really happy with how it's going. That's so great. A slow but steady trip to world domination. <laughs> yeah. On that note, what are your big crazy dreams for back home? You know, I'd love to get our own space mm -hmm. and be able to have people come and enjoy the beer, but also enjoy it with some Persian street food or something like that. And so that's kind of the vision that I have. I'd love to be able to have a space in D.C. as well 
um, make it kind of a family affair and have my brother run the show down there. So um, that's kind of what's turning in my mind. And so I, definitely in the next couple of weeks, I'm going to be finally getting out there to be able to raise some funds and hopefully be able to do that within the next couple of years. I'm ready. <laughs> Tell me when. Tell me where to be. Tell me, you know, if you need a, I don't know how to make a pitch deck, but I'll do anything. <laughs> yeah. The pitch deck is actually done. I mean, I just have to do some, you know, a little bit of tweaks here and there, but yeah, I'm ready. I'm ready to get out there and ask people to give me some money because I've been self-funding this thing and, you know, I can't do it anymore. No, that's insane. <laughs> but I think, I mean, that's what makes some of having worked in hospitality for many years, mm -hmm. it's whether it's beer, whether it's wine, what, an ingredient in the food, it's the elements with a story behind it that you can, as like a server or a bartender, personalize and then mm -hmm. convey to your guests and get people excited. And that's yeah. where you have it. Like, I want to say so, like, yes, so brilliantly figured out, but it's also so genuine and not like, it's not calculated. It's, it's you, it's your story. Thank you. I really appreciate that. Of course. Actually, what I was going to ask you is, do you ever find it challenging to kind of, like I said, this is your family story. This is your story. Do you ever find it challenging that like your whole brand is centered around you effectively? Do you know what I mean? A little bit. Yeah, I do know what you mean. Because it it's also makes it really hard to give up control and be able to trust other people to kind of tell that story the way that I feel like I can tell it. And so it is a lot of pressure because it seems like I have to do everything, even though that's not the case at all. It just seems that way because I'm like, well, it's my story. And how can someone else tell it as well as I can? How will someone believe it unless it's coming from my mouth, you know? So um, I think that's the hardest part is being able to just let go maybe at some point and say, okay, I don't have to have control of every part of this. And I can hopefully get the story out enough and then other people can kind of take it from there and be able to tell it as well as I can, if that makes sense. That completely makes sense, especially when the physical space comes into play and you have to hire people to be the representatives of your brand. Exactly. And that's why I feel like I have to go to every tasting and I feel like I right. have to answer every email and I have to do all the sales pitches because I just feel like, well, who can sell the beer better than I can? This is my story. So that's kind of what I'm trying to do right now. But I'm hoping someone else can take over for some of the, you know, kind of upkeeping and following up with our clients. I believe in in that and you because like yeah I mean it's, it has to be because eventually you're going to want to take a vacation yeah I know <laughs> take a nap <laughs> something exactly. so I've talked to a lot of women who have both started businesses who've like worked in beer for 20 years but also women who are brand new and like didn't come from beer did you find it challenging to kind of establish a brewery not having worked in the industry before Definitely. Especially because when I tried to enter the market, it was during COVID. And so right. there were no in-person events. Um, things were virtual. And it's like, how can you really meet people like that? And so I definitely felt like an outsider. I mean, I still do because I don't know. I mean, I'm going to be um, involved in some events during beer week, mm -hmm. but I don't know anyone who's there. Like I know 
Flint and I know you and there, Mm -hmm. you know, there's a handful of people that I know, but I definitely feel disconnected to the beer world because I feel like most people who do what I'm doing have been in the industry for so many years. And I feel like I just kind of came out of nowhere. And so, yeah, I feel, I do feel that way. And it's not anything that the community has done because they're very supportive and they have a lot of events and they want people to come out. Um, But I think it's just tough for me because I've got my son and I'm running the business by myself. And so I don't have the time to maybe go out to all the events that I would like to go to and meet people. And so I was for, so I, to answer your question, I would say definitely, I feel like a bit of an outsider, but the community is very supportive and they want people to succeed. And so Mm -hmm. it's been nice to get that response from them. And so I am starting to feel a bit of a more, like more of a connection to people in the community here. And, you know, someone like Flint who is part of the guild and he has been really nice and trying to get me more involved and telling me like, Oh, there's this event and this and and making introductions and that kind of thing. So even having a person who is willing to advocate for you in that way is really been nice too. I love that. And I certainly, you know, with that question, I don't mean to like sow any seeds of like self-doubt or anything. I just, no. Yeah. I find it interesting because like (laughs) certainly not comparable in like the financial commitment. But even starting this podcast, I felt like, well, who the heck am I? No one knows who I am. Right. Who, yeah. Who am I to be doing this? Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's like we have every right to do what exactly. we're doing, just like everyone else. But I definitely understand those thoughts because I had the same ones too, of people being like, who is this person? And kind of who does she think she is? Mm-hmm. She just came out of nowhere. She hasn't worked in beer. She knows nothing about this, you know? So definitely a lot of those things are running through my mind. But you're here and yeah. you have an amazing story. And I'm excited about I'm excited about where back home is going. Like <laughs> so genuinely. You you should you should hear me talk about it to these people in this in this St. Gambrinus beer store, beer shoppy <laughs> place. I never shut up about it. And I appreciate you doing that. Oh. That, Cause that's I mean, it's hard to get the word out to people that we exist. And so it's really nice to know that there are people in these shops that are like, hey, this is, you know, this woman who comes around in her car and just delivers the beer and <laughs> it's pretty good and are able to tell the story when I'm not able to. So I appreciate you and I really appreciate the people who do that. Yeah. And that's the thing about making a, a like a product that stands on its own that is high quality and delicious and having a story that people really connect with. Like, it makes me want to shill for you. Thank you. <laughs> of course. Um, is there something in the beer world right now that is really exciting you? Oh, that's a really good question. I think just people with different cultural backgrounds mm-hmm. and people of color, I think that is going to add something very special to the beer world. And so I think for a very long time, it was more of the same thing. Mm -hmm. And so I think that that's really exciting to be able to see um, different companies employ more people of color, engage with them more, hire with them more, uh, people with different backgrounds, being able to open up breweries. And so I think that's an important part of all of what's happening right now. Amazing. And you kind of just answered my next question, which is what is the biggest change that you want to see in the industry. That's definitely it. You know, I think that 
beer is one of the most consumed drinks in the world. And mm-hmm. so it's not just American. It's a lot of people from different parts of, of the world drinking beer and adding their own flavors and styles to beer. And I think that's really cool. And that's something that should be highlighted. And so that's, that's exciting for me to be able to see, um, the women, like the women from Japas. Um, yes. Myra. Yes. Ugh. She's amazing. I met her at beer, Witch actually yes. at an event. And so just to see just really cool people with different backgrounds, put their own spin on beer and the flavors of beer. I think that's been really exciting to see. Gorgeously said. I, I love to ask this question, but particularly in this case, you're a newer business, right? Like you're mm-hmm. you're at a really exciting point in your journey. If there's anything you could say to yourself five years ago and five years from now, what would it be? Oh my gosh. I know. That's kind of big. Five years ago, I would say stop being so scared of everything mm-hmm. because I really was. And I would take I just, I just doubted myself a lot and I feel like I would think about a million things that could go wrong. And so I would just tell myself to just, just do what I wanted to do. You know, don't wait so long. Don't drag it out. Just start whatever it was that I was trying to do. And so with the beer too, it was something on my mind for so long that I just never did. And when, once I finally did, I'm really happy that I did. And it could have easily have not happened, you know? So I think that was what I would say five years ago. Now to future me, that's really <laughs> hard to say. Oh my gosh. I'm going to have like, at that point, I'll have a kid who's almost driving or soon. I'll have a teenager. Yes. Which will be really stressful. <laughs> um, <laughs> I would say... Maybe just to take some time for myself because I can foresee mm. this getting really crazy because it already is. And it's really hard to just put a pause. And so I think if I'm not taking some time for myself to just breathe, take a vacation, do something, then it's really going to hurt. So that's probably what I would tell myself. Don't don't overdo it. Yeah. Take some time and breathe a little bit. I love that. That is the perfect note to go out on because as we learned you had a long ass day do you have you know you've kind of plugged everything this whole podcast is a plug do you have anything else like where can people find you well maybe not you personally right (laughs) they can find you in your car with a case cases of beer in the back yeah yeah how can we follow you (laughs) (laughs) exactly um the beer is at different retailers in new york city and different restaurants and also in dc and so there's a beer finder on our website um, on the beer page or on the homepage, you can just put in your zip code and pull up all the nearest locations to where you are and go pick them up. Zara Tabatabai. As you may or may not know, we got to end things here with yeah. the classic quick fire challenge. So here we go. Okay. Most overrated beer style. Triple crazy IPAs. <laughs> Amen. If it's above 9%, I don't want it. I can't. Well, IPA wise, I can't yeah. do it. Yeah, but people putting like 10 pounds of hops per <laughs> barrel and like crazy stuff like that, you don't even you don't even taste it anymore. It's just like right. your mouth is numb. And who can yeah. afford that? That's a that's expensive. That's a lot of product. It's very expensive. Yeah. Uh cake or pie? Pie. Mhm. Okay. Grew up in the south, so, you know. Oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> a la mode? No. Classic. Not I'm not an ice cream fan. So just just plain just plain pie. 
Great. Love to hear it. What's the most underrated beer style? Um, uh, that's good. I would just say a classic Pilsner. Just a just an easy drinking clean lager. That's it. I agree. Yeah. Nowhere to hide. Exactly. Not all the crazy added stuff, just something clean and crisp and just easy to drink maybe, any day. Maybe just a pinch of blue salt and that's yeah, it. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. What do your friends come to you for? Um, usually when they are in trouble or have just really advice. Hmm. I think I give good advice. I'm a good listener. I don't, you know, make any judgments. And so I can usually give out some good advice, solid advice. I can see that. You have a very yeah. warm presence. Or if they're in jail, you know, I'm usually the call. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I've been so many times. <laughs> wow. Okay. We'll talk about that later too. Yeah. You answered this already at the top. To glass or not to glass? To glass. Yeah. I don't Always like to drink to out of a can. Always to glass. Yeah. Do you have a favorite one like at home or if you're at a bar, you're like, that's the one I want? Yeah, I do. Actually, I have a favorite one at home. At the bar, mm-hmm. I don't care as much, but yeah. at home, yeah, it's usually... Um, I don't even know what the name of the glass is, but it's like a, it's just a tall glass that I drink beer out of, um, that I hand wash very carefully because mm-hmm. I've broken a few of them. Mm-hmm. So have I. Yeah. <laughs> I like to just knock them over randomly and then they shatter everywhere. It's fun. Yeah, exactly. I love that. I love a specific <laughs> beer glass. It doesn't sound like you have that much time to watch TV, but what's the last show that you binged and loved? Um. Okay. What am I watching right now? Ozark. Uh-huh. The newest season that came out, mm-hmm. so I'm watching that, which is pretty good. I'm I'm a fan. It's not the type of thing I would normally watch. It's so stressful to me. Yeah. But but it is really good. Yeah, it is very yeah. good. Yeah. For sure. I'm yeah. No, that's – yeah, that's what I'm watching right now. But more often than not, I fall asleep. Every Anything I'm watching on TV, I fall asleep all the time. Yeah. I have to rewatch an episode like six times. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You're a busy person. So, you know, you don't have time for the birds and their shenanigans. What is your desert island beer? Um, Blue Moon. Great. Classic. I love a Blue Moon. Who doesn't? Nice and refreshing. And you know what? I can drink it all day long. And on the desert island, you would have to. Yeah, exactly. Not necessarily a desert island, but if you could get on a plane right now and go anywhere, where would you go? Oh, that's a good question. Anywhere with a beach. Uh, yeah. I used to, we used to travel every December and we didn't do like Christmas and Hanukkah and all that stuff. We mm-hmm. would basically just gift ourselves with a trip. And since COVID, it's been now two years or three years, I don't know, where I've not been able to travel to my <sighs> Caribbean destination for December. Oh, man. So I'm doing that in April, though. I booked my first trip in many years. Because I'm also turning 40 in April. Mazel. Yeah. Oh, my so, gosh. Yeah. I'm like, this is this is it. I'm going on a trip. So we booked a trip, a week-long trip to Guadalupe in the Caribbean. Absolutely. And I'm really excited. Oh, that's so exciting. I'm so happy you're going on vacation. I know. I'm really excited, too. I'm really happy. I'm so excited for your vacation. I'm so excited that you ended your long-ass day with me here. Thank um, you. Sara Tabatabai of Back Home Beer herself. Will you take us out with a toast? Any toast, anything that comes to mind, your favorite toast? I'm not picky. Yeah. You know what? I'm just going to say Be Salamati. Be Salamati. Which means cheers in Farsi. 
I love that. <laughs> Cheers. Thank you so much. Of course. Thank you for having me. I really had a good time with you. Isn't she just a delight? Zara and I spoke back in February, so if you're lucky enough to track down her New Day IPA, which she released in honor of Persian New Year last month, then you're one lucky beer lover. So much of what Zara said really resonated with me. The way that the mission of her brand is so deeply personal in honoring her grandfather and in shining a spotlight on the rich brewing history of Iran, the hustle that it takes to be a one-woman beer band, and how the support of both local Persian and local craft beer communities are both so integral to her success. I just admire her so much, and I'm so thrilled she's getting that long-awaited vacation this month. Am I right? I've linked Back Home Beer's website and Instagram below so you can keep up with all of her latest beer drops. I'm telling you, she always sells out quick. Thanks again to Zara for joining me at the end of what sounded like maybe the longest day ever. I'm so appreciative to all my guests who take the time to fit me in. Thank you, as always, to Megan Bagala for our music and to Sabrina Rain at the Hoppia Shop for our graphic. And, as always, thank you for listening, dear friends. I would not be here without you, and I'm really grateful to have you along for the ride. I will be back in two weeks with another undeniably fantastic professional in our industry. In the meantime, I will see you on Instagram and on TikTok. Remember, at Bruce with Broads. Love you so much. Bye.